Well, it's wonderful to be back among you. Heard really good things about last Sunday as we celebrated the graduation of our senior students and uh, our continued prayers go with them as they continue in their journey in life. And uh, it's fun to be able to be here now today to continue in our series of messages that I began some time ago as we're thinking about uh, breaking the chains of uh, sinfulness that is so so rampant around us. And uh, as we think about that, uh, you'll recall that the idea that I have about this uh, issue of breaking free from sin uh, involves what I call a lifestyle of repentance. And uh, you remember that I suggest that uh, repentance is uh, recognizing that we're involved in some type of a, of, a, of a behavior or a lifestyle that is displeasing to God. So we turn from it, and then we present ourselves to God, and then we begin to pursue the opposite. And uh, this idea of repentance and turning from and turning to is, is all over the Scriptures. And I thought I'd just uh, read a portion with you. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, that illustrates this. Um, you don't have to turn to it, but just listen with me. Ephesians 4.25 says, These, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood. So Paul says, uh, Stop uh, living and presenting yourselves in falsehood. And so then he says, Turn from that, and then look what he says. Speak truthfully to your neighbors. So instead of doing falsehood, turn from it and then speak truthfully. And so there's that idea of turning from and turning to God. Um, Then he says in verse 28, this one's interesting, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Uh, We might ask ourselves, when is a thief no longer a thief? And we might think, well, when he's not stealing. Well, but you know what? That really means that he's just going on vacation. (laughs) When is a thief stop being a thief? Well, look at what the word says. He must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now you're not a thief anymore. So the idea that we're talking about when we're thinking about this idea of the sinfulness that we we experience in this world is we, we recognize we're in it and we turn from it and then we pursue the other direction And that's what true repentance is all about. We've been working our way through what have been known historically as the seven deadly sins. We've talked about pride and how we turn from pride and turn to humility. We talked about anger. We turn from anger and we nurture a lifestyle of love. And then we talked about envy where we turn away from envy and we begin to pursue a desire for God. And today we continue in a two-part series where we're talking about breaking the chains of greed, where we began last year understanding that so often we as Americans fall into this trap of this hunger and this thirst and this desire to acquire more and more and more and then keep it for ourselves. And the biblical word for that is kind of an offensive word to us in our modern culture, is greed. Greed is something that is, um, is, 
easy for us to fall into, and Jesus recognized that. Last time we talked about the farmer who had uh, a very productive crop. And he said, what am I going to do with all of, my, all of my crops? And so Jesus said, well, what happened is he fell into greed. And so he built bigger barns and he hoarded all of his crops and he kept them from himself. And Jesus said he fell into greed, which lied to him, saying that his significance was in the abundance of his possessions. And, of course, we know that that's not true. And then he said his security is in his possessions because he said, well, then I can eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, unfortunately, your life is going to be required of you today, so don't fall into this trap of greed. Don't fall into this trap of trying to acquire more and more and more for ourselves. And in 21st um, century America, it's easy for us to fall into that. Instead, remember what Jesus said? Be rich towards God. So instead of being rich in worldly possessions, in the, the wealth of this life, turn from it, present yourself to God, and as he leads you, then begin to nurture a life of being rich toward God. I was doing our devotions while my wife and I were on vacation. And I came across a reading um, from uh, Pastor John Piper. And uh, he was talking about the tendency of a person, uh, the story where uh, Jesus said, uh, come follow me. And the guy says, well, I just bought some land and uh, I, just, I just bought some new oxen, or I just got married, and let me go and tend to those things, and then I'll see if I have time to follow after you. He was falling into the trap of acquiring more and more and more for himself. And, and here's what uh, Pastor Piper said about developing richness toward God. He said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God, or being rich toward God, is not poison, but apple pie. That's interesting. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of this world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, richness towards him, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. Think of that. It's not his enemies, it's his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of this earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Well, my wife and I talked about this for a long time when we were together last week. And we thought about, are we falling into settling for 
the dribble of this world and then falling short of realizing the richness towards God that he offers for us in Jesus Christ. And that's a question, I think, that applies to this idea of overcoming this hunger for this world. I firmly believe that the overriding characteristic of a follower of Jesus is experiencing the richness of God in abundance. And I believe that we can have the richness of God in a way that we could never overestimate and that its value would far outweigh anything we could accumulate in this world. We as God's people are heirs of of his riches. Jesus said, be rich towards God. And as followers of Jesus, our pursuit is to be for him and all that he gives to us. That means that we are to experience spiritual fruitfulness and great satisfaction and fulfillment in our Christian lives. Listen to some of the promises of God's riches. In Psalm chapter 43, he talks about God's exceeding joy. In Psalm 100, he talks about serving God with gladness. In Psalm 37, he talks about how we can take delight in God. In Psalm 90, God's promises are are motivating and fulfilling our days with gladness. And in the New Testament, the, the whole book of Philippians talks about rejoicing in God and experiencing his joy and his blessing and his abundance. This includes the relief of sins forgiven, the assurance of eternal life in heaven, the blessings of his promises as we walk the paths of this life. Being rich towards God is is a promise that we can take even in the midst of difficulty and hardness. We can count it all joy, the Bible says knowing that difficulties and trials are God's tools for growing and nurturing us to be more effective for him so we can bring him more glory, which results in greater blessing for us. Christians of all people are to be rich and blessed of God. It's a wonderful thing for us to be able to say, no, I'm not going to have a desire an insatiable appetite to accumulate more and more and more of this word I'm, world. I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to pursue God's riches, which are mine in Jesus Christ. And you know what? When we are rich towards God, we're going to have more riches than anybody in this world could ever have, even if we only have a little of the world. God's richness and blessing will be ours. Now, I'm a very practical person, and so I want to say, okay, how is it that we can nurture being rich toward God? How can we protect ourselves from falling into the trap that that farmer fell into? How can we build our lives so that we don't fall into the trap of the shallowness that this farmer fell into? How can we experience the abundance and the riches that God has given to us? Well, I'm sure there are many things we could do, but I'd like to share with you one today 
that builds a foundation for richness towards God, and that is what I call grace giving. Instead of accumulating things of this world, I believe that we can be rich by rich um, from God by taking the things of this world and giving them to Him. And as we give to God, you know what He does? He returns to us His riches. Listen to some of the promises of the Bible. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Giving gives us in return richness of God. Proverbs 22. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod that the wicked will in fury will be broken. But the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. So we give to the poor, Jesus, the Bible says, and we will receive back God's refreshment. And then Jesus makes this incredible promise. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I'd like to suggest to you today that a definition of grace giving is giving in faith to a cause that touches the heart of God. We give in faith based on his promises. And the heart of God is not the heart of our own desire for more and more. That's the trap that Jesus warns us. But when we give to a cause that touches the heart of God, that's when we receive in return God's riches. And so I'd like to suggest to you this principle. And it's easy to think about. When we give to a cause that touches the heart of God, we will always receive a blessing from the hand of God. When we give to a cause that touches the heart of God, we will always receive a blessing from the hand of God. Giving makes us rich towards God. Giving, grace giving in faith, gives us in return the riches that God promises. And that's something that we as Christians can count on. If we want to experience the blessing of God, give in faith to a cause that touches the heart of God. Giving includes our talents. Giving includes our time. Giving includes our money. Setting aside a portion of our income by giving it by faith to the Lord. Giving a portion of our money that God has entrusted to us to advance the cause of the gospel. But we give in faith. It's a, it's a grace giving. It's, it's giving in faith. It's not, I have to. It's not, well, I'm going to do this so I can manipulate God and get stuff from God. Rather, it's given in faith. It says, Lord, I give this to you in love, in faith. 
knowing that it's a cause that touches your heart. And when we do that, God will give back to us blessings from his hand. I see this principle all over in 2 Corinthians, beginning with chapter 9. And so I'd like to focus on that passage today as we think through this idea of giving and grace giving. So let's talk in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, beginning with verse 1, and see if you can see this principle in this passage. Remember, we're replacing the insatiable desire for more and more in this world with a desire to be rich towards God. And here's how we do it. 2 Corinthians, beginning with chapter, uh, in chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that all these things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply, increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So what I'm suggesting is that here's a passage of Scripture that helps us to understand one practical way. It's not the only way, but one practical way to pull the rug out from underneath greed. To pull the rug out from underneath this insatiable desire to have more and more and more. And the way to do that is to practice Grace giving. And so I'd like to outline grace giving for you with three pillars from this passage. The first thing we need to understand is, uh, before I give you those three, let me set the context. I want you to know that God has a heart. God has a heart. And that that the heart of God is where we should uh, direct our giving. God has a heart for the poor. God has a heart for the homeless. God has a heart for widows. God has a heart for orphans. Now, not the poor who are there because of their own bad decisions or their desire to to live off of other people, but God has a heart for victims of abuse, victims of bullies, especially those who are persecuted for their faith in Jesus. God has a heart for those in prison and for those who are prisoners to their addictions. God has a heart for children, born and unborn. God has a heart for marriage. God has a heart for family. God has a heart for the local church, which he purchased with his own blood. God has a heart for those who uh, are in need and those who are in this world God has a heart for these things. And when we give to a cause that touches the heart of God, we'll always receive back a blessing 
from the hand of God. He will bless our homes. He'll bless our families. He'll bless our church. Now, not necessarily with wealth, although if we put him first, he'll care for us more than, than the flowers in the fields and the birds of the air. God will bless us. Uh, if we give to the heart of God, he will give us his joy, his pleasure, his peace, his comfort, his strength. God's blessing includes spiritual insight, answered prayer, the assurance of an inheritance in heaven that will never fade or spoil or perish, where we will live with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, these are God's promises. These are God's promises. He wants us to be rich in him. He wants us to experience his blessings. But that's not the same as the blessings of this world of perfect health and material wealth and and all those things that some quote-unquote false teachers teach. Some false teachers say, well, you're a king's kid, so you ought to live like a king's kid. You ever heard someone say that? Well, guess how the real king's kid lived? Born in a stable. Grew up in a carpenter's home. Didn't have a home to lay its head. One change of clothes. The Apostle Paul gave up everything in this world so that he could follow Jesus. See, that's how real king's kids live. They put God first. They live for him. They turn away from this this desire to build up all this material stuff and they turn to God and they say, God, I want to give myself and my resources and my talents to those things which touch your heart. And when we do, he will give us his blessing. We must never allow, though, the abuse of this truth to rob us from fully entering into the promise of God's riches. So I want to celebrate this truth today without abusing it with the three pillars from first, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Here's how we practice grace giving so that we can then experience being rich towards God. First, the environment that brings blessing from God is freedom. Freedom is how we give. If it's grace giving, the assumption is that we give apart from the law. We're not required to give. Grace giving is from a foundation of freedom. Let me talk to you about what Paul means here when he says we are to give in an environment of freedom. First, now I hesitate to say this, but it's right in the scriptures. Giving is optional. Giving is optional. Our motivation is love for God. Paul says in verse 7, you are to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's not something that we have to do. Paul says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to what he says. This is incredible. I'm not commanding you I'm not giving you a law, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul says, I want you to be rich. I want you to be rich in God's blessings. I'm not ordering you to give grace giving. I want you to feel it in your heart. I want you to feel the the joy and the love of God of giving sacrificially to a cause that touches God's heart. And when you do, you will be rich toward God. You'll experience his blessings. It's a privilege. It's an expression of our love to him. It will never be forced. So first of all, I would suggest it's optional. Secondly, freedom in our giving is responsible. It's responsible. Look again at verse 7. Decide in your heart what you are to give. Decide in your heart. That's exactly what Paul says right there in the text. Here's the protection of some of the emotional and manipulative appeals for money that we sometime hear from Christian organizations. Or the promise given to someone. I want you to give, empty out your checkbook and send it all to me. And tomorrow, you'll get a check in the mail by God's miracle. And he'll bless you. You ever heard someone say that? I suggest to you that that's totally irresponsible. That's not what God says. God says, decide in your heart what to give, how much to give. Be responsible about it. God entrusted his resources to us. We need to be responsible with them. As God leads and directs by prayer, notice how God is working in our families. What's the season of life that your family is going through right now? Maybe you're an empty nester and you've got more than you used to have expendable. That should affect the way that you give. And then God says, listen to this, verse 7, be cheerful about it. God says, be cheerful of your giving. God loves a cheerful giver, he says. It's right in the text. You know, every once in a while, I just get the urge to give someone something. Sometimes I'll give an extra couple of bucks to a waitress or a waiter at a restaurant. It's just fun. There was one time when uh, one of the men on our staff, our custodian, uh, I saw him and he had a hole in his shoes. And, and I just said, man, you got a hole in your shoes. He says, well, yeah, you know, they're old shoes. And I said, come on, let's take a trip. I took him to Fleet Farm and bought him a new pair of steel-toed work boots. It was really fun. I loved it. It was something that was motivated within me because I had some money and I was responsible with it. But man, it was it was just a cheerful, fun thing to give to this guy something where I saw that he had a need. You see, grace giving is in the environment of freedom, a freedom that results in joy and the pleasures of God. And I'll tell you, that day I was basking in the riches of God. That's what grace giving is. Is all about. I want to suggest the second thing that the text tells us in verses 8 to 10, and that is our attitude must be submission to God. And as we think about submission to God, 
It's an attitude that brings blessing from God. Giving does result in the blessings of God, but the amount and the kind of blessing, that's for God to decide. It's tempting to look around at others and say, well, how come I can't have that blessing? I give as much as they do, probably even more than they do. (laughs) How come people who are not following Jesus have more than I do? Well, you know, if we're going to really practice this pursuing God's riches, we need to pursue them out of joy and then submit to the way that he gives us back his blessing. So here's how to do it. Number one, find contentment, not self-indulgence in God's riches. Look at verse 8. When we practice grace giving, we will have all we need. Verse 8. In America, it's usually more than we need. Usually. The Bible promises that God will withhold no good thing from those who love us. But sometimes God does withhold some things. And when he does, it's for our own good. And our attitude must be submission to him. The motivation is not so that we become rich. That's self-indulgence. The motivation is that we practice grace giving so that we can experience his blessing and submit to him and to walk with him and have the assurance of his blessing will be all that we need, our daily bread. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. This is a great verse. It says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Isn't that interesting? The writer of the Proverbs says, I don't want too much because I'll just, I'll just get self-centered. But God, give me enough so that I'm not, I'm not motivated to do something unscrupulous here and, and bring dishonor to you. Help me to be content with what you give to me. And as we are, we'll, we'll get free from this insatiable desire for more and more and more. The point is that we can count on God's blessing, but the degree of God's blessing is up to God. And we submit to him. He may give us great abundance. He may give us just what we need. The point is, is that with whatever blessing he gives us, we are to be content. Someone said to Mother Teresa, you remember Mother Teresa? She worked in Calcutta. She was poor, had an incredible ministry. Someone said to her, Mother Teresa, I wouldn't do what you're doing for all the money in the world. And she said, neither would I. And we need to understand that God's blessing is for ministry, not personal recognition. When we practice grace giving, God's blessings enable us to, look at the text, abound in good works. Notice that God's blessings are intended not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. And the benefit of others is to be abundant. It may be that God has given us financial blessing, but it's not to raise our standard of living. Perhaps it's to raise our standard of giving. We can give more as we have God's blessing. 
God does not bless us so that we might stand out in the crowd as being rich and influential, but meaningful and experience God's good works. I want to go right on to the next point. God wants us to be an investor, not a hoarder. And this is found in verse 10. Notice the words enlarge and increase. God wants us to think about giving in areas that that can grow. Remember the parable of the talents. Jesus wants us to take his blessings and and use them, but he wants us to to invest them in in causes that will grow and enlarge and, and increase in influence for his honor and for his glory. My challenge to us as a church is never be satisfied with God's blessings, but always be thinking about how we can invest them so that we might increase his influence in the world. Now, third, God's glory. God's glory. The kingdom value of grace giving is God's glory. The result of grace giving, it's right in the text, verse 11, is thanksgiving goes out to God. Now, this is a very interesting thing. God is made famous when God's people give to a cause that touches his heart and then he gives us a blessing from his hand and it's a testimony to God's richness in our lives. And when God blesses our socks off, he is made famous. His kingdom values are displayed and God is glorified. I remember when my wife and I told our parents, my parents, of our commitment to grace giving. We told them that, you know, you guys, it's just just a matter of fact. Everything that we have, we're going to give a portion to God. You know what they did? They're, They're both moved up to heaven now, so I can tell you this. They called my sister and said, we're going to change our will. And we're not going to give Scott and Faye any of our money until they turn 65, because we don't want them to squander it. They didn't understand. I mean, we, we gave away cars. You know, we traded cars. We didn't need to trade in this car. We gave it to somebody. So we gave it to someone. It was hilariously fun. We loved it. My parents were just aghast. Until they began noticing God's blessing on our lives. They noticed how We were just full of joy. They noticed how God provided miraculous ways for us. I remember one day I was traveling on the freeway in Chicago and and I was with my son going to national conference and my car broke down on the busiest part of I-80 in Chicago, the busiest truck place in the country, they say. And I pulled over to the side of the road and I was with my eight-year-old son. And I said, well, son, let's pray. And we prayed and we started walking and we didn't go 20 yards until a guy pulled behind me with a truck. He says, you need some help? And I said, yeah. And he says, well, I happen to be a mechanic and I've got all my tools in the back of my truck. What's your problem? And I says, I don't know. I don't know anything about engines. He pulled it up and he says, oh, your fan belt's broke. Pulled out his tools. He took us to the, to the gas station, got a fan belt, came back threw that fan bell down, 20 minutes later we were on our way. I told my parents that story and I said, you know why God did that for us? Because we 
practice grace-giving. Over and over again, God's blessing has been on our family. I mean, we don't have a lot. In fact, recently we lost one, we lost 40% of my retirement through a bad investment. $150,000. Gone. That was my retirement. Gone. That's a lot of money. Are we, are we still blessed of God? Are we rich with God? Absolutely. We, we are at the high point of being rich with God. Money, well, yeah, it's important. We need to be responsible. But when we don't have it, when it's taken away from us, we're rich towards God because we've been delivered from this insatiable need to acquire more and more and more. And we are turning to God. That loss has not affected our giving one penny. You see, because we've learned that when you give to causes that touch the heart of God, he returns to us blessings that are untold and unfounded. And no one can explain it except that's got to be God. And the text says that that increases thankfulness to God among other people. He is shown to be gracious. He is shown to be faithful. He is shown to be loving and good. This is how to break the chains of falling into that trap that that farmer fell into. And this is how we practice one discipline, grace-giving, that results in receiving back from God the richness that he promises to us. Now, that doesn't mean that everything in our life is going to be hunky-dory. It's not. But in the midst of the pain in midst of the difficulty, there's something inside of us that says, you're going to be okay. There's something inside of us that says, God loves you and God's got an inheritance for you in heaven and he gives you himself to walk with you and to give you strength and courage and grace in the midst of whatever it is that we face. That's what it means to be rich towards God. And how do we nurture it? The credit card company says, what's in your wallet? I would suggest that the Bible says, what are you doing with what's in your wallet? And if you practice grace giving, that's one discipline that helps us to get free from the clutches of materialism and gives us the opportunity to receive from God the riches that he's promised from his hand. Brothers and sisters, give to causes that are touched the heart of God. And when you do, you'll receive a blessing from the hand of God. Lord God, it's always touchy to talk about money. It really is. It's easy for someone to say, all this preacher wants is your money. He just wants you to give money so you can increase his salary. Um, 
Lord, I don't think anybody here really thinks that. I think we all really want to know what the Bible says about how we can be rich toward you. I think all of us really want to increase our hunger for you. I think all of us here really would desire to have more of you. And sometimes that is facilitated by giving to you. So I pray that you'd give us freedom as we think about our giving. I pray that you'd give us submission as we receive back from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a heart to glorify you in all things that happen in our lives. That we might experience the joy and the blessing of being rich towards God. That's our desire. That's our prayer. Work in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, I'd like